This is the Global Logistics Podcast, and here is our host, Steve Grossman. Okay, welcome to the Global Logistics Podcast, and today my special guest is Bob Carter. He's from Cargo Training International, which have offices in the UK and also in the US, and are experts, as the name will suggest, in cargo training, uh, dangerous goods training. Um, Bob, thank you for joining us. Um, Good morning to you. Good morning, my pleasure. Um, so yeah, obviously I've done a, a quick opening, but um, I know you've been working in this industry for nearly twenty-five years. But if you could give us a quick, um, I don't know, some background about where you came from and 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 in a nutshell, what Cargo Training International is about. Right, uh, my background is well, finally, which was with British Airways, uh, BEA before that. So I've been around the track for several years. Yeah. more years than I can remember. Um, <laughs> I ended up in the uh, cargo division. Yeah. And as that, I was also responsible within my remit for uh, human resources and training. So I had uh, about eight years of uh, cargo training, particularly dangerous goods, but other uh, training as well. Customers training and uh, forklift training, uh, everything that you could imagine. When I was uh, left BA in 1991, I uh, didn't have any particular, uh, in my way, in fact, I, I tried to get back into human resources where I'd been since 1962. And I thought, well, you know, that's, my, that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm pretty good at. So let's go down that road. But after several excursions in the then rather difficult job market, uh, I had a phone call from a third party uh, who said, was I interested in getting together with some ex-colleagues from BA with a view to forming uh, a dangerous goods training company? Uh, I said, yep, got nothing better to do. So let's go for it. And from that, we developed Cargo Training International. We registered it as a company in uh, 1992. So it has been going now. Next year will be our 30th anniversary. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, looking back on it, it was quite incredible. I mean, during that time, we've seen quite a few changes in the marketplace. And like a lot of startups, um, we had our... Uh, early beginnings were a bit uh, precipitous, to say the least. Um, but we su- we survived, we persevered. Uh, as a result of uh, British Airways deciding to um, depart from third-party uh, dangerous goods training, we picked up a lot of work from them, including the old BA British Caledonian oh, training in the USA. So you know, there's a bit of history there, and uh, and uh, so and we ran or are running a successful um, program both in the UK and in the USA. Thank you. That um, I done a, a hazardous goods course many years ago, and I mean many years ago, um, and I seem to remember the um, the books, the the dangerous goods books, the or the uh, UN uh, UN books are the dangerous goods. They each one of them because there were several. It's like an encyclopedia, I seem to remember. Yes. How, they still are. They still are. <laughs> so, so how on earth do you stay 
which I know kind of leads me to my next question, which is which is how on earth do you stay on top of that? Because of course, we're in with COVID. Um, that's a span in the works in terms of the new rollouts and, and where we are now. If, if you could give us an idea of, you know, what's happened in the last year, because there, there has been kind of a, um, a bit of a, a wrench in the machine, I, I believe. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Yes. I mean, COVID has knocked everybody sideways. I mean, physically and literally. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, we estimate that we have lost uh, probably to date somewhere in a region of 300 to 350,000 in revenue. Wow. Simply because we have not been able to train. Yeah. But going back to your original question about the workbooks, yes, they still are encyclopedias. Um, the IATA book, which oh, is yeah. a dangerous goods regulation, which is produced annually. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that continues to do that and I mean the changes each year uh, are not often significant but uh, one still has to keep up to date with the uh, cosmetic changes as well as the real changes for the uh, ADR which is the road dangerous goods yeah. that's published every two years and uh, that's, that's in two volumes so that that's quite difficult to train with because you have to have both volumes out on a desk and got a workbook as well so people do find that uh, quite difficult and uh, you virtually I mean every time we look for a training venue we have to make sure their tables are not uh, sort of school desks that they are actually physically tables so people can spread the books out across the across the desk so going back to COVID the two meter rule is probably uh, not applicable because they'll be two meters apart anyway yeah. because of the material they've got and the IMDG code is the same. That's published every two years. But more recently, uh, I mean, literally this year, all three regulations were due to change. IATA produced their book, the 62nd edition, which is effective from the 1st of January. That's no problem. Um, there was, wasn't particularly any significant changes there, so that was good news. Uh, the ADRs came out in uh, the end of November effective 1st of January, but the IMDG code has yet to surface. Well, so and, and still, go on, do just carry on, I interrupted you. Please. I see still working on the, the old two, 2018 edition. And and when, thank you, and when you, um, obviously you cover air, road, sea, of course, now, but um, are they in general, uh, the rules and regulations that apply in terms of, I don't know, stowage and separation, are they in general the same, or are they radically different across the board? Uh, c c you know, in terms of relation to the transportation mechanism. Well, they're not. Obviously, they're not identical. Otherwise, there'd be no point in having three sets of regulations. Well, of I course, mean, right? Yeah. We 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 all waiting for the day when everybody gets their heads knocked together and they do decide some common. But air, of course, uh, is the most catastrophic in of terms of end and if there's going to be an end, uh, end end problem it's going to be with air um and that's always been the most stringent uh, regulation in uh, of all three of them or all four of them if you include rail yeah um the road and sea uh, are the most compatible um in fact we have started doing a combined road and sea course, although obviously we have to use the two sets of regulations. Mm. Um, they are more compatible than 
than either of them with air. And rail's the same, rail and road and sea. Um, I mean, no one would argue that they're identical, but there's a lot of similarity between the three sets of regs. But air has always been different, and uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. And uh, certainly with the advent of uh, things like lithium batteries uh, and the problems that they have caused, particularly with air travel, uh, then, yeah, I mean, I suppose rightly so, they are different. And I can't see in the foreseeable future any fusion with air and the other modes of transport. No, I can't. And it's very interesting because... Um, Needless to say, I speak to a lot of logistics companies all over the world, um, but particularly in the UK, um, and I've spoken and I've asked them about their feelings with um, post-COVID and I know we're two months into Brexit, but they're very upbeat, um, actually. It's quite interesting. Uh, and I spoke to a couple of uh, recruitment companies on Friday that deal with the um, logistics market. And they said they're so busy, they're so rushed off their feet, <clears throat> which is good because I think, I know we spoke about this off, um, away from this interview, Bob. Um, but my feeling still is that, um, as you know, of course, sound like over a third of adults have been have had at least one injection. I can see the role. I can see things changing very, very quickly. I just wonder what your thoughts are. Well, uh, I tend to go be optimistic rather than pessimistic. Yeah. I think one of the issues that this uh, pandemic has thrown up has been the absence of classroom training mm. for obvious reasons yeah. that, you know, couldn't do it. Um, and uh, the fact that online training has become permitted. Yeah. Um, yeah certainly for air. I mean, there was a, it was in its infancy before COVID. But I think uh, since COVID, it, it, other pe- a lot of people have chosen to go down that route, although I have to say I've had mixed reviews back mm-hmm. from my customers uh, saying, well, when are you going to come back? Because, you know, we want to be face to face because this is not a subject that lends itself easily no, it doesn't. to to, uh, to online training because you haven't got the interaction. And we, we particularly don't get the interaction between students who, who in our classes come from different sections of the industry. Yeah. So you'll get shippers, freight forwarders, cargo agents, and some, you know, well, I mean, I've been in classes where people have said, oh, I didn't realise, you know, that you couldn't ship that to there. I mean, we've been doing that for years. How come you can do it? And, and that sort of interaction you you won't get uh, on an online class. I mean, I know there with Zoom, you've got the opportunity to be able to, you know, come in and go out, but uh, certainly, I mean, we uh, don't misunderstand me. I mean, we are, to a limited extent, we are doing what is termed webinars, um, which is not, it is online training, but it's not uh, independent. I mean, the, the tutor is there in front of a class of, I think, maximum now is eight. They will, they will permit maximum eight. So there is there is some interaction there, but it's uh, certainly not universal at the moment. But I'm, I guess I'm optimistic. I mean, we 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 start training again next Monday. Blimey! Oh, that's um, brilliant. I'm I'm really not surprised because um, it's fascinating what you said about the um, the Zoom and webinars. I do them all the time, but the, and you're right, they're they're fine. But the trouble is when you're talking about dealing with a subject where, as you rightly touched upon earlier, it can have catastrophic consequences. 
um, I think you need to have that that face to face because it's the nuances and it's the um, trying to elaborate what you mean by talking about I don't know a particular part of stowage or UN number or whatever and I don't think you know okay great maybe you're doing a, an English degree or, or a geography course it doesn't really it's not really the same uh, gravity that's I guess the word I'm looking for Oh uh, yeah, I, I I I would agree with you on that. Um, it certainly uh, is. It, it it's difficult to do it online. I mean, I in the good old sorry in the bad old days, I was asked to do a correspondence course. Would you believe? Which was then before they they used the term distance learning, mm. uh, and uh, I found it terribly difficult because I didn't have the immediate response from. Uh, a tutor, because you would get an you get an assignment, you would do it, you would send it in, and then you would get it back, and there were questions that you needed to ask. Yeah. But by this time, it was three weeks. That's now, right. admittedly, now with with tech with the technology, it is, it's probably almost instant. But you've still got that. Well, sorry, I wish I'd have asked that question, or why didn't I ask that question, or where did that answer come from? because I can't see that in my book. And I think one of the problems with, uh, with a lot of technical training, particularly dangerous goods, is that there is a lot of words in the various manuals mm. which are not understood by the general public. And of course, if you get people coming who just joined the industry, and they're told, go on a dangerous goods call course, or don't go on a dangerous goods by air or road or sea or whatever it may be. Uh, they come into that classroom with barely any background knowledge of what a dangerous goods is. Yeah. Apart from not knowing how the hell you get it from A to B. Yeah. And what paperwork's involved. I mean, so how it, it's quite okay. daunting. And how much ignorance for want of a better word do you come across when you're when you speak to people and you run this course and i don't mean that in a negative way because people often don't want to know because they only want to know when they need to know if you if you or have to yes know, I, if you know well, I, mean. I mean we do certainly get um uh, in our courses particularly our early courses well i've been doing this for years uh attitude uh i've never got the qualification because you know but my boss says i've got to do this course and when they come, when they start talking, the instructors often say, well, you know, why, why do you do it that way? That's, that's not in accordance with the books. Oh, it doesn't matter about the books. You know, I've always done it. This and no one's ever told me different. Mm. So you get, there's that sort of ignorance where people have been in the industry, I suppose, to some extent. You know, when I've, when I've done the, uh, uh, done, well, when, when I've done work for BA for so many years, you object to people saying, well, you better go on a course and learn how to do it. And, and I think that attitude has prevailed to some extent in the business. But, you know, it is a highly structured uh, industry and it does have a lot of regulations, dangerous goods being one of them. Yeah. But there are other regulations, of course, I mean, customs and now Brexit has yeah. come in. You know, there will be a lot more complicated rules that, you know, people have got to get the grip. Yeah, and we but should. Anyway, no, it, yeah. it is really fascinating. And we should point out, I mean, for people that don't know, I mean, this, this, or what you do covers such things as radioactive materials by air. I'm reading off your PDF now, of course. 
infectious substances and diagnostic specimens. See, I wonder how many people would even be aware of that. Um, it's, it's probably, uh, it's certainly in, in the ones you, the samples you've quoted, uh, not a lot. I mean, you'd need to be in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, yes, you need to be in the pharmaceutical industry or associated with it to want to know and have to know about the transport of infectious substances and diagnostic specimens. I mean, it is a fairly limited market, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, but if you go on to something like lithium batteries, oh, yeah. I mean, five years ago, no one even thought about transport of lithium batteries. That's right. You know, and then, of course, you've got all these instances with aircraft and, and, and cargo where things happened. You know, there was, um, you know, explosions. And, I mean, the famous one of the UPS flight that went down in Dubai. Yeah. You know, carrying a consignment of Sony computers. Yeah. Where the computers had uh, the batteries that overheated. And... Uh, and exploded. Yeah. The whole aircraft went down. I mean, that's, you know, it's obviously a case study that probably all the uh, people uh, use in their in their training. But as I say, five years ago, no one gave it a second thought. No, that's absolutely and right. And here we are now, you know, I mean, lithium batteries training is one of our biggest sellers. Yeah, I can believe it. I mean, and, and that stretches a simple thing. I had to order some drone batteries, lithium, of course. Yeah. Um, and um, I had real problems because I didn't realise... The Royal Mail, there's all sorts of um, restrictions oh. in place now. Yes, they do. Oh, yeah, they, they, they came on board uh, quite quickly um, after, you know, because people were posting uh, lithium batteries, you know, just putting them in the post box because some of them are so small. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, you know, they're less dangerous when they're small, but there's still a danger, whichever way, particularly if we're talking about a lot of them. And, you know, and people, we, we've had people come on our courses and we've said, well, I mean, what, what do you use? And they say, oh, you know, we, we use lithium batteries. Well, how do you send them? Oh, we send them by the pallet load. You know, and they said, well, hold on. Oh, if you send them by the pallet load, that takes them from one category to another category, which makes them even more dangerous. You know, it's quite, quite, well, in, it's in itself, it's, uh, you know, it's a, another area where uh, people have, well, people don't understand. They have a lot of ignorance, and therefore, you know, they, they, um, they, they need the knowledge to, to ensure safety in, when they transport these things. And in, so, it, and in your case, Bob, I know you've got to you've got to teach people an awful lot or know an awful lot because you must get asked questions all the time when you're doing these courses. How do you? I know that there has been a slight pause because of of COVID, of course, but how do you make sure that you stay on top of everything and how difficult is it to remember everything? Well, dangerous goods is, it, it, uh, overall is not so bad because addendums come out to the various regulations. So obviously we pick them up and incorporate them in our training. Uh, and then, of course, every, every, well, basically every two years, all the regulations change. So you have to go through and see where they've changed and make sure that you're, you know, anything that has altered uh, is identified in the training. So if you come on a course two years ago and you came on the, the course refresher course now, mm. there would be differences, yeah. and, we, and, and our training must reflect those. But if you, with something like lithium batteries, I mean, they were changing the rules nearly every week, oh 
And that was quite difficult to keep on top of that. I mean, fortunately, it's slowed down a bit now. But our next biggest problem, well, biggest challenge, is going to be in the air regulations where uh, the ICAO have decided that the new training will incorporate assessment oh on the job assessment. Right. And, I mean, it's all very well. They've, they've printed a, a, those of the, those who've got the 92nd edition, a 62nd edition of IATA, <clears throat> will uh, look at Appendix H and go to think, by God, how are we going to handle this? Because it, it, it's okay in substance, but it's so vague about who does what. I mean, they're still expecting training, but then they're expecting the individual who's just been trained to go back to work and prove physically that they can do what they've just learned on the training course. Does that mean then, then potentially, where you might train someone, let's say, once every couple of years, that you may have to actually, not for any fault of your own, but you may have to train these people more often? Well, that's not been suggested. I mean, the, the, the training regime is still down at every two, every two years or when the regulations change, which, of course, is every two years. Because yeah. uh, IATA, IATA are specific. Uh, I mean, they say that the certificate will expire in two years, and that's 24 months. And if you don't have a renewal certificate, then you don't train. You're out of compliance. Yeah. But with road and sea, it's slightly more flexible and they say that training, refresher training, must take place when the regulations change. Yeah. Well, of course, theoretically this year, for C, the regulations haven't yet changed. Mm. But road has, and, and air has, so, you know, that it's going to be a very interesting one. No, but I don't think the, 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 the change in Appendix H of the IATA manual is going to mean automatically that training will have to be more frequent. What it, what it don't make clear is who is going to be responsible for the assessment. <laughs> because I think somewhere I read it's going to be the employer. Now, I cannot see, certainly from the people that we train, that they will not have the expertise or the, the knowledge to be able to do that part of the uh, that part of the uh, overall certific certification, and they are claiming they are arguing that you will not get certificate of compliance unless you have had the training and you have had the assessment and passed both. And and this this is um, not an amusing question, but it's an interesting question. If suddenly I said to you, you know what, we're going to Bob, we want you to be, um, want you to. We're going to in instigate one thing across the whole industry. In your opinion, what would that one thing be that you think would make a big difference? Well, if you say across the whole industry, I would say consistency with the regulations. Um, you know, I said to you very early on in this um, interview that um, if all the regulations were the same, it would make everybody's life a lot, lot easier. Yeah. Now, I think in reality it's probably not going to be possible to to meet every single criteria uh, across the board but it would be useful if you know there was a core that everybody for whether you're transporting by air road sea rail complied with 
And then you might have uh, smaller subsections which says, well, if you're using road, this applies. Because obviously there are going to be uh, and there are going to be circumstances where, you know, with air, of course, it will be probably loading the aircraft, uh, which is not so not so such a problem with road. Um, but th there will be one other thing. But that would be ut getting close to, to utopia. Okay, well, fantastic, and thank you very much, of course, for your time. Much appreciated. And that's it, Bob. Thank you very much. I mean, yeah, there you go. 25 minutes just flew by. Who knew? You know, it just goes so quickly. And the thing is, I could have talked to you for hours. You can find Global Logistics at glowlogistic.com.